Hello, everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Echo Chamber. I'm your host, Theo Boltman, and welcome to the show. So this is the first episode, which is very exciting. The person I'm interviewing today is Maury Whale. He was an engineer for 50 years and now lives in the heart of Turak. Hello, Maury. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Theo. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Um, so today we're just going to have kind of a friendly conversation slash debate about different global and political issues in Australia right now. And it's going to be interesting to see your opinions as someone that's more right-leaning rather than left-leaning. And I'm excited to see how this goes. So okay. let's get started. Right. I'm just going to jump straight in. Um... So we recently had an Australian election. I'm sure you have heard about it and voted. <laughs> I did vote. Um, what were your thoughts on the campaign as the election was referred to as the climate election? I believe the climate election is not right. It shouldn't be called climate election because we need to take our time and work out what we're going to do about changes to the environment more than climate. Elaborate? Well, there are two things. There's climate change that a number of people claim that we're having climate changes. But I believe our climate changes maybe every 100 years. So therefore, it's not so much climate change. What we need to do is stop polluting the environment got it um that's that was a great answer um how do you think we can stop polluting the environment by changing our um, way in which we manufacture electricity is a big one i believe that coal fire um, generators are out we need to get something better than wind power or um, panel power. We need to push ahead with Snowy 2, which is environmentally friendly. It's going to use panels to charge the batteries and use uh, for the electricity for the pumps. So it will be friendly to the environment and we'll get constant power which is the most important thing and coal coal energy hasn't done that always in the past giving us power always coal has but it pollutes the environment got it but until we work out what we're going to do how we're going to do it because there are new things on the horizon there is a replacement for um, nuclear power, which will give us constant power. I've just forgotten the name of the new, um, a new type of uranium that hasn't got the effects that the uranium of today has. 
What does the effects of uranium today have? We can't control the waste. Got it. Um, do you believe the school strikers are actually achieving a lot and making any difference, or they're just doing it for social reasons? I don't think they're making any difference. I think to involve children at this stage, I think, is wrong. It will not affect Parliament. It will not affect adults. All it does is create a child's sort of protesting. Got it. Um, so if children shouldn't be, shouldn't be brought in at this time, even though this is technically about them, then who should be thinking about this issue? Because our government currently isn't. I think that's wrong that our government isn't. Our government today in Australia, per capita, is producing more wind generators and sun... Um, power than any other nation per capital that is got it so canberra canberra is doing canberra is very renewable though so we have to keep that in mind um do you what do you think what do you think we need right now in terms of helping the environment like should we all just stand back and let the experts do it well we need to get the government to change their minds and that's both sides of the government they need to have panels of people that are going to get involved with what we really need and what is the latest technology um do you think it's important that our government immediately take immediately takes climate action or do you think there are more important issues that they should go ahead with? Well, define climate action. Climate action is proposing that we're going to go a certain amount of renewable by 2030. So our current Liberal government has proposed that they're going to go 25% renewables by 2030. But even all the scientists have agreed that that's not enough, that we need more. Now, define all the sciences scientists um because there is a group of scientists that believe in climate change but they're not all the scientists there is another group of scientists that disagree with them and they've got the actual figures because the renewable scientists are purely acting on uh, predicted models where we haven't got the scientists that are claiming true values. And there's... You're holding an article right now. Where What's this article from, pulled out from? From there. Oh, so, wait, what's this article? What newspaper is this from? It's from the Herald Sun. Got it. The Herald Sun, the Murdoch Press. And that's the... Um. So this is claiming that... Well, this is saying that this is easily just another ice age. And during the last ice age, much of the Northern Hemisphere was covered by permanent ice and snow, which is the case of Canada extended to what is now the US border. The sea levels fell 120 metres. 
Um, there is no, there is also no historical record of past dangerous global warming. Um, the medieval warm period 1,000 years ago was warmer than today and allowed Greenland to be farmed, yet the CO2 level was 30% less than the present day. Um, this, all of these studies, the lack of evidence from past history and the failure of climate predictions means human-induced human dangerous global warming slash climate change theory is not an evidence-confirmed scientific theory. This is by the Climate Study Group, published 2013. This is from the Murdoch Press. This is described in the Bulletin of the American Meteorological Society. And this study was done by the Climate Study Group, and the article is kind of saying about how climate warning slash change theory needs to be reviewed. And there is a photo here of the Murray River. Um, and it shows that there was a drought and it was all dry in 1908, which brings up a great point. What if this is just another drought? But my preposition, my proposition to explain what's happening with climate change. So climate, you, for the past 500 million, well, not million years, but you get the point for a long time, the world was simply kind of just like it was it was equal and they'd shift a lot. So it was sometimes a bit hotter and it was sometimes a bit hotter and colder and sometimes a bit colder and hotter. But now the line's extending. So it's really hot in places and really cold in places. So can it be another ice age and another hot age at the same time? That's possible. But I do believe we've got to stop polluting the atmosphere because that stops the ozone gas stop producing the ozone gas that stops the sun and the weather coming through. Um, do you think that, um, what was I going to say? This article is from the Murdoch Press. Um, so they've got a statistic here that's saying that the predicted models are saying that climate change is going up really quite, really fast but the actual measurements are saying that it's just quite regular. That's very interesting. Um, I just want to ask, you're saying we need to stop polluting the environment. What do you think about how, by buying meat, you're contributing to essentially creating damage in the environment? By buying meat? Because the meat industry uses a lot of coal and fuel and water. We need water and they use a lot of water to produce meat. It takes about a litre to create a steak. Well, we're very fortunate in Australia. If we built more dams and brought down the wastewater from Queensland when it's flooding each year and distributed that, we wouldn't need as much water. And there is also a way of making water from salt water with a desalinating plant. We have only one desalinating plant in Victoria. Yes, and it's big enough to produce all the water we need. But it takes so much money to make. That's the problem. That's true. But what is more essential, the water? If we've got lack of drinking water, we need to survive. So therefore we need the power. And if we can get cheap power then the problem's not as big got it um 
Do you... Um, what was I going to say? Um, so what do you think of... So everyone... It's very popular right now in the media about the Amazon rainforest burning. I'm sure you've heard about it. Yeah. Um, oh, is this... And this is the Queensland fires. Oh, he's got an article from the Herald Sun, the Murdoch Press, about the Queensland fires. So let's just take a little peek. Over the Queensland fires, the vultures fly, calling global warming. How can I wish they'd get their story right? Back in 2011, the Greens blamed man-made warming not for causing fires in Queensland, but floods. It must take its major share of responsibility for the weather events we are seeing unfolding now, insisted the party's then leader, Bob Brown. It was nonsense, of course. Brisbane had suffered far worse floods before. In 1893, the Brisbane River's flood, flood gorged reached an astonishing 8.35 metres. Very tall. What's more, the 2011 flood which was caused in large part by mismanagement of the Wyvernhoe Dam, which released too much water at once for Brisbane to handle. True, much of that water had been dumped by a cyclone, but the Bureau of Meteorology data is quite clear. Australia in this warming world is getting fewer cyclones, not more. That's very interesting. I didn't even know about these Queensland fires and I didn't know the Greens Party blamed it on them. But yeah, that sounds very interesting. I think... They do bring up a good point that what about the flood that happened in 1893 that was 8.25 metres tall? That's pretty tall. Well, that's what I'm saying to you. I think our climate changes hundreds of years, not five years or ten years. This is too small a, um, how do you call it? Issue? Um, time, time frame you need 100 years or maybe 200 year time frame until we can get all the records for that amount of time then we don't know got it um so what do you think other than turning renewable what else do you think we can do do you think cutting down your meat intake or cutting down on your fast fashion will help fast fashion what do we go back to wearing um, fur and uh, old coats well it's not that challenging to go to an op shop most of the stuff you find in stores you can find at op shop for not only cheaper prices but they're better for the environment because they're second hand meaning you're not just buying it and you're going to throw it out in five minutes but if we didn't buy it you wouldn't have an op shop that is true. You make a solid point there. Um, but, oh, I need a minute to work this one out. Mari's really presented something to me. Um, do you... That's a good point. Um, um, we... If you need a white t- if you're buying one white t-shirt once every six months, let's say, um, you could buy one white t-shirt every six months from Target, let's say, or you could buy one white t-shirt every six months from an op shop 
and that op shop one might be three years old, meaning once you throw it out, it won't take as long to to degrade. You've still got the same amount of clothes, whether it's in the op shop or it's in the retail shop. True. So if we didn't buy them, you wouldn't have an op shop. So we need to continue to buy, otherwise the op shop will have no stock. That's true. Um, well, if we all stopped buying now, then I think we'd have enough clothes for a long time. I mean, have you seen some people's clothing collections? Um, but regarding meat, we can survive without meat. Am I correct? We can survive without meat, yes. And if the meat is proving to be bad for the planet, do you think it's necessary that we cut it out? Well, it's very hard to say whether that's true. Because if you go back hundreds of years, there were animals in the environment. So we don't know what real effect the animals really do to our environment. Mm. You are right. Um, so fi- when the dinosaurs were alive, the main cause of climate change was the dinosaurs farting, but now the main causes of climate change are coal and oil distribution, the meat industry. The meat industry counts for 25% of climate change, according <coughs> to... Um, scientists from many different universities such as Columbia and Harvard? Well, look, as you said in the beginning, we can live without meat. True. So So I don't disagree with that. That's great. (laughs) Something to to agree with. Um, Do you have any closing statements regarding climate change before we move on to the next subject? No, I just wish the governments and our governments would stop playing around with our electricity and get on with the job of building new power plants that'll give us constant power every time we want to turn our lights off. Um, And you don't think the Melbourne, well, not the Melbourne, the International School Strike Movement is necessary? Say that again? The international school strike movement. I don't think it's necessary. Great. Um, cut print moving on. Um, the next subject we're going to be talking about is the Australian refugee crisis. Me and Mari have had many political conversations about this, and I'm finally excited to get it on recording and see what we can get out of it. Um, so, do you have any thoughts on the current refugee policies Australia has? You've got to define refugees. A refu- we, oh. we are bringing in some 100, it was 190,000 refugees that come in by plane and come in through the correct channels. Yep. And I'm fine with that because we need to increase our population. Now, the next type of refugee is the one that comes through on a boat. Yep. Now, 
what my understanding of a refugee is, they move from a country that is worn, torn, or they're being attacked. And I believe the first country that they arrive in, they should be taken as refugees. Whereas a lot of the refugees that were coming in by boat come through various channels, get on a rickety boat, and there are children that are coming on these rickety boats. And the adults purely want to come to Australia because of our social services, which we give everybody. And we have a wonderful life that is the envy of the world. And do you think that by Australia putting these refugees on Manus and Nauru is the correct solution? I don't know of another solution. But do you think what's happening on Manus and Nauru right now is okay? No, look, our government is slowly but surely moving everybody off Manus and Nauru. All the children have gone from those facilities. Yep. Refugees have come in. There are a number that are not really welcome in this country. They have uh, crime, crimed in their own countries, being criminals in their own countries. So why should we have them come to our country? We should have the choice of who comes to this country, not somebody from somewhere else deciding he wants to come to this country. But who decides that? Peter Dunn? Do we decide that? I mean, we can't have a vote. But I think in a lot of terms, the government could be quite biased with their opinions. I don't think so, because we're allowing 160,000 come in and they come through the right channel, do the right thing, and we need tradespeople, we need doctors. They're coming in. There's a number of Indian doctors. If you have a look at our hospitals today, and the beauty of an Indian doctor is their second language is English, and they're well-trained. Just regarding you saying that all the kids are off, that's... All the kids may be off Manus and Nauru, but now they're in all these disgusting detention centres across Australia. I haven't read anything, or to my knowledge, I hadn't heard of that. Yes, because the Australian government doesn't, is silent about it. You need to get some proof. There is a lot, there is a lot of people that, that's actually a very good point, um... There, actually, no, I'm pretty sure there's an article in The Guardian about it. Well, it hasn't come. I go to a current affair um, U3A twice a week. And those people are very savvy on what current affairs are on around the world. Yeah. And I have not heard of any children that are in 
poor state in Australia. Um, one of the main people who, one of the main organisations who have provided this information are the ASRC, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. If you simply call them and ask them information about they will provide it with you. And there are a lot of kids right now who are being treated disgustingly in these detention centres. There is one girl in, it's either Brisbane or Adelaide, I can confirm that, that is locked in her hotel room. She's been locked there for about four months now. And she's not allowed to get out. Why isn't she allowed to get out? Because she's apparently illegal in this country. Even though in 1951, Australia signed an agreement saying that anyone that would like to come here can come here legally. But did she come here legally? No, she came off Nauru and instead, and she was, and her and her family were told that they were going to be provided a home or whatever to stay in. And she has not been provided with that. She's been provided with a hotel room where she can get no light, no air, no sun. Is she with her family? I don't think so. Why would she be separated? The Australian government lies to us a lot. Um, I just want to bring up that this whole thing about they're illegal, blah, blah, blah. They're not illegal according to the actual laws the Australian government has signed to according to the United Nations. If they're true refugees, according to the United Nations, the first country that they land in should take them in. But they don't do that. They go from country to country to get to Australia. Um, that is the difference. Um, and they pay big money to do it. So a true refugee is running from a country and usually they have very little money. But these people pay um, smugglers tens of thousands of dollars. Where do they get the money from? That's all the money they have left. A lot of them steal it. It's all they have. That's the only way of them getting to safety. Um, I just want to bring up how... What was I going to say? Um, it's good about that, Um The... Do you think that it is okay for the Australian government to reject these people even though... Some of them, let's say, there are a lot of families that are that from Syria and there's no Australian embassy there for them to go to and be like, hey, can we just fill out this form? There's no Australian embassy. It's war-torn. What are they meant to do? How many countries do they get go to before they hit Australia? That's a good question. Do you want me to... No, I'm not... <laughs> That's a question I, I want to... And that's hope. the thing. You consider where Syria is and how do you get to Australia? Whereas some of the Syrian refugees that are coming legally fly into Australia. You bring up a great point. I hopefully will have an answer to that next time I record. I'm going, I'm going on contract right now saying that I will be able to hopefully answer that in my next episode. Um, 
So do you think, what do you think about how Australia has tried to silence the refugees and silence the security guards and silence the chefs and the teachers and all the people that were working on Manus and Nauru? Look, there are various employees of the government that sign documents of confidentiality. And you have some of these that are so-called whistleblowers. Now, if you sign a contract of employment, you are contracted to not talk about what you're doing. But don't you think even just that, how they're not meant to talk about what goes on there is a bit shady? Not necessarily. It's like ACO have people, and you've had some whistleblowers with that, and they have have very um, essential details on our government that shouldn't be public. Yeah. Especially the military and the SAS, where when they go to war, they're in war-torn country and they're fighting for our survival. So they do do things that are, um, we're not happy about, but that's what happens when you're in war. You either be shot or you shoot the enemy. Do you think there is a possible solution? What should we do? Well, if you're employed by the government in sensitive areas, you have to abide by your agreement. I have a son, Simon, who has worked for the government and he's in the computer field. He signed documents that he was not allowed to talk to even me about it or anybody else. Now, they are essential um, people that uh, do work for the government, that the government needs to be, to keep it secret. Otherwise, other countries would get hold of our secrets, and that's not allowed. So anybody signing such a confidentiality agreement should abide by it. You bring up a great point. Um, I just want to fill it, finish off this little okay. part of the thing. Go for it. Um, is there, do you kind of have a closing statement about what the Australian refugee crisis? Do you think it's a crisis? I don't think it is a crisis because there's so few a number involved. It's not like thousands. It's getting down to hundreds. So how can you say hundreds are a problem? That's a great point. Um, so is there anything you want to close by saying about this issue? No, no. I think we've said enough. It's great. Um, just by starting to 
finish the podcast, I just want to discuss how there is, I'm sure you've noticed how a lot of the media is trying to split up and like the community, even I've done it before, is trying to split up left and right wing. You're either a left climate activist, uh, pro blah, 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 or you're a climate denying homophobic racist. What do you think about that? Look, I think the majority of the population don't know enough about climate, couldn't care less about the climate. As long as they've got their um, electricity staying on, as long as they have a good life in Australia, uh, they're not so worried about the climate. And 90% of the people don't know a thing about it. Um, do you think that... What do you think about how left and right wing are very are supposed to be very split and there can't be some kind of political spectrum that weaves in and out and a conservative could be pro-choice or a left-wing person could be homophobic? Of those two categories, how many people are we talking about in actual fact? I'm not sure what the statistics are. Let's let's take ten people. Five are left wing, five are right wing. Well, unless you really look into what you're talking about, a lot of people take it from the newspapers, which you get a lot of false news and false information. So unless you bothered to really delve into what the actual facts are, um, most of the people just read the paper and take it as the gospel truth. And 90% of the time it's not. But you could say that about, for example, a lot of what the Murdoch press is saying is very biased and not necessarily true. Well, you could say the same about the ABC and the Age. That's very true. Um, and the, you can say it about various other papers. Do you think there are any completely objective newspapers slash news outlets? Unfortunately, you have the right and you have the left. But in actual fact, I'd say the middle, there's a huge, huge number of people that sit in the middle and don't really care about one or the other. The average worker on a construction site couldn't care less. And do you think if the left and right worked together, we could get a lot more done? Yes. In what sense? What do you think we could get done? Uh, We could solve our power problems. which is going to be a huge thing in Australia. As we, our cold fire generators are dying in age, unless we do something with both governments, like the Snowy Scheme, stop talking about it and get on and build it. Um, so would you agree me with me when you say there's not left and right wing, there's not even really a spectrum, it just everyone just weaves in and out of different issues? 
there's a small number on either side, but the average person, I'm talking the average person. Me and you. The workers. And it's interesting what I read now. Take the left and right. Our universities used to be a place where you had the left and right. Today, our universities are being pushed very hard to the left and people on the right that want to come and give their version can't even get into the halls of our university because the left take over and don't allow them. I think this is wrong. Our universities a place of learning for the left and the right to debate. Um, do you think that it's important that we realise that I wouldn't, like, you're not completely right, I'm not completely left. We may not agree with everything from the left party and you may not agree with everything from the right party. Would you say that's correct? Yeah. So this is kind of what I'm proving in this podcast, that right-wing people don't have to be homophobic, transphobic, climate-denying, pro-life bigots. (laughs) These terminologies... 30 years ago, were not on the spectrum. Nobody talked about them. It's only in the recent years that all of this has come out. Do you think it's good that it's come out? Yes. It's healthy. We should talk left and right, not force our opinions on any one person. We need to build a healthy relationship. Yes. That, I think that's a great ending to the episode. Would you agree? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have any closing statement? Anything you want to finish with? No, I think we've said enough. We both agree that everyone's different. Everyone has different political opinions. And I think that's great. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, everyone. This was my first episode. I was a little nervous, but I felt like it went really well. It's raining outside. And thanks so much for listening. And please subscribe. Um, Email me if you have any requests. I'll probably set up an email address and put it on social media. Thank you so much.